Let's pray. God, thank you so much. God, thank you for being so good, God. Thank you for the lovely name of Jesus, God, the, the name that, Lord, that, that changed everything for all of us, God, that just, everything about the way we live, the, Lord, the name that has power over the demons of hell and power over sickness and power over authorities of the earth, God, the name that we can call on and, and everything has to flee at the name of Jesus, God. Thank you so much for it. Thank you for this book. Thank you for this letter that you, you took time over the years to use the hands of men to write down and give to us, Father, to instruct us, to teach us, to help us, God, that we might grow closer to you, that we might be one with you. Father, I pray you'd be in the midst tonight. I pray you'd teach each one of us here. I pray you'd touch every soul represented, God. I pray you'd help us, Father, to learn more. Lord, I pray you give a special blessing. We pray most of all, God, may you be pleased with everything we do in this place, on this campus, God. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Acts chapter 16, last week we left off there at verse number 35. We, we saw Paul and Silas, how they were singing at midnight in the prison cell there at Philippi, the, in the Philippian jail, and how the, the, the earthquake came and the doors flew open and, and chains fell off and uh, we, we saw how the prison guard came in, was going to kill himself, and Paul said, no, we're, we're all here. And we saw that through what happened that night, that, that the prison guard became a child of God. He was saved, re redeemed, and we saw that he took him back to his own house after that, after being saved. And when he got to his own house, his whole family received Christ. The Bible says they were baptized. It says that that jailer took and he washed their backs where they had been beaten, washed it with his own hands. And then he prepared a meal for them. We looked at the Bible and tell us it's probably been a while since it had a, a good meal with all that was going on. And he prepares a meal. And, and then we'll begin in verse number 34 in, in our reading and read down to the end. It says that when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. When it was day, the magistrates, remember the magistrates were the judges. They're the ones that were over it. They're the ones that's supposed to be like a judge to make sure that somebody gets a fair trial. If an accusation is brought against somebody, then they are to have to bring evidence. It's no different than a court case today. We call them judges. That's what the magistrates would be. They're overseers of the law. They're the Roman authority that make sure that Roman law is carried out in each of the cities. Um, it says that, that when the magistrates, they sent sergeants saying, let those men go. says so that the keeper of the prison told this saying to Paul, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. But Paul said unto them, they have beaten us openly uncondemned, being Romans. They've cast us into prison, and now do they thrust us out privily? Nay, verily, but let them come themselves and fetch us out. The sergeants told these words unto the magistrates, and they feared when they heard they were Romans. They came and besought them and brought them out and desired them to depart out of the city. They went out of the prison and entered into the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they comforted them and departed. Now, we left off last week looking at the obvious. The next morning, you know, the tempers have died down. The, the mob has dispersed. The ones that 
brought Paul and Silas there. And so the magistrates, they've kind of cooled down. They don't have all these people yelling. They've had a good night's sleep. Things have, have kind of tapered off a little bit. And, you know, in their mind, I think we taught those Jews a lesson. It'll be a long time before they come back in here stirring up any more trouble. We'll let them out of jail. They'll be glad to get out of this city. They're not going to cause us any more problems. We'll just send a guard down there and tell the jailer to just let those men go. And it says in verse number 35 that they sent the order to the prison guard. Now, now, don't you know that this prison guard is so excited when the, when the magistrate sent the sergeant saying, let those men go. And the keeper of the prison told the saying to Paul and the magistrates have sent to let you go. Now, therefore, depart and go in peace. Can't you just imagine the joy and the excitement of this jailer? I mean, he's seen a difference in these men. Just yesterday, he was abusing these men. He had no use for these men. They're just troublemaking Jews. But man, what a night, right? They're singing at midnight, the earthquake, the chains fell off. And he says, hey, we're all here. Now the jailer is saved. I mean, man, what, what a night. He's got this whole new, new set of friends here. Not, he's got brothers in Christ. And he goes back. He's so excited because the magistrates said, hey, man, I can set you free. Everything's good to go. And Paul says, not so fast. It ain't going to go down quite like that. He says, they've beaten us openly uncondemned. Here's the key, being Romans. Paul and Silas will have a Roman citizenship. And it says, they've cast us into prison, and now do they thrust us out privily? Nay, verily. Let them come themselves and fetch us out. That word fetch is a word that means to lead us out. No, you let them come down here, you let them open the door, and you let them lead us publicly out onto the street. Now, now here's the problem. It is against the law to beat any Roman citizen in public without a fair trial. It is against the law to attempt to cast any Roman citizen out of any town. Now, Paul and Silas didn't get a fair trial. That night they got brought in, they got an accusation, they got a mob, they got beat, they got cast in. They, they never got a fair trial. Now, because these magistrates have beaten a Roman citizen publicly and cast them into prison without a fair trial, the very best that they can hope to get is to be beaten and cast into prison just like they did to Paul and Silas. That's the best thing that they can hope for. Odds are they're probably going to get a death sentence for what they've done and the way that they've done it. Can't, can't you just, I, I was thinking, I was studying, I looked at it last week and I know we didn't make it to it. So that just gave me a little bit more time to dwell on it and you ever just sit around sometimes, you kind of laughing, snickering, people don't know what you're laughing at, but you're just thinking about stuff. I couldn't help but think about when this messenger, when he came back to the magistrates and said, um, Your Honor, I, I need to talk to you. Man, can't, can't you just kind of see it's like morning time? What is it now? And, and they said, those men, um, well, Your Honor, they, um, they, they said they're not going anywhere. Um, we, we, I told the jailer that you said they could go free, and they said, um, we're, we're, we're not leaving. You tell them, you go back and tell them that they're going to have to come down here and lead us out of jail. Can't, can't you sit here at the magistrate? They said, what? They said, what? They're not gonna, they, they want us to come down there? They, 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 well, yes, sir, what they said was that you're the ones that beat them publicly you're the ones that tried to humiliate them. You're the ones that did this. And now they're saying because of that, 
you're going to have to come down there and lead them out of the prison. Can't, can't you just picture the magistrates? I'll lead them out. We'll lead them out there to the whipping post. We'll have them beat to a pulp this time. When we get through this time, they'll, they'll wish they'd never heard of the town of, of Philippi. They'll wish that they would have left when they had the chance. And, and the messenger says, um, 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 you, you, your majesty, your honor, they, um, they're, they're Roman citizens. Uh, they're, they're, they're what, what'd you, what'd you say? Um, both those men you beat, um, they, they have a Roman citizenship. Anybody ever had something just really scare you? I mean, like working in the yard and you flip something up and there's a snake right there. You know, it don't matter if it's a little grass snake. You don't know that at the moment. It's a snake, right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? I, I, I'm, not, I'm not bothered by snakes as long as I see him and he's over there. But, but when all of a sudden... You know, I was coming back. I thought, I thought it was ample day. I had to run to Hogansville or something. And I come back. <laughs> and there, there was a lady, a little white minivan. I'm coming around the curve, and I, I have no idea what she was doing. But driving, obviously, wasn't one of the things she was doing. And she was about two-thirds into my lane and coming my way. And she was close enough that by the time she looked up, I could see the whites of her eyes. And I saw her coming, and I'm in a 250. She's in a little SUV. I'm not really too upset about it. I'm slowing down, getting ready to move. But I could tell when she looked up and saw me. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all ever had one of those moments? You ever been driving, you look down, do something, look up and realize that everybody stopped but you? And, and the hair on your neck stands up. All your hair tingles. And, and you're like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be sick. I, I think I just need to sit down. That, that, I think that's these magistrates. They, they, they're what? Those two guys are Roman citizens? Can't... Can't you just imagine the, oh, Lord, what have we done? But because this is their life. I mean, they understand the, the penalty that, that is here. Now, I don't really know. I was thinking about, <clears throat> I wonder why Paul didn't tell them last night that he was a Roman citizen to avoid the beating. Well, there, there are two realities that I thought of as I was looking. Number one, he may have. But you know, with all the uproar and with all the crowd and all going on, he's trying to explain his side of the story. I'm pretty sure they probably weren't listening to him, wouldn't you think? So he may have told them his Romans, but I thought about something else too, though. He and Silas have a Roman citizenship. Remember we talked about Luke and Timothy. They weren't arrested. Just Paul and Silas. But Luke and Timothy, they're not Roman citizens. So maybe had Paul told them, it might have taken the heat off them, and then Luke and Timothy might have got beaten. So maybe he didn't. Maybe he didn't tell. I don't. I don't really know. I just can hear what what the messengers say when they when they come back in, and and now all of a sudden the shoe is on the other foot. Paul and Silas is in the driver's seat. Paul and Silas knows it. The magistrates know it, and the, and the magistrates know that Paul and Silas know it. They, they know the story. It says in verse number 39 that they came and besought them, brought them out, and desired them to depart out of the city. So Paul requires the magistrates themselves to come lead them out of prison. For me, I'm feeling like these magistrates are all but on their knees begging. You know what I mean? They, they understand their position. I mean, they're, they're, they're just, sugar won't melt in their mouth, just trying to do the best that they can. I was trying to think about the prison guard. Remember, he's the one that was given orders. If these men escape, 
you'll pay for it with your life, right? Make sure you secure these men. They don't get out. So he's giving strict orders. He probably wasn't very friendly to Paul and Silas. He knows where the order came from. But then after what happened last night with the earthquake and all that stuff, and, and now he's a saved, born-again Christian. They're his brethren. And he sees these high-ranking officials all but begging Paul and Silas. I imagine he's wanting to laugh out loud. I imagine inside, he's probably amused by all this. He, he's probably thinking about, wow, man, what a great God this is that just saved me. Not only did he forgive me of my sins, not, not only did, did he wash it away, put my name in heaven, give me a new life. Not only did he, did he send an earthquake last night and open prison doors and made chains fall off, but he even holds the heart of these magistrates in his hand. He's got them begging before his children. Man, what a God. That's the same God we serve. It's the same God that can make our chains fall off. It's the same God that can take care of the people that makes your life hard. Bosses, people at work, neighbors around you, things going on. It's the same God that can handle every situation that we see him handling right here. So the text says that they besought them. That word means that they desired them. In a sense, it means that they begged them. They brought them out. It means that they let them out themselves. They made a way. But then it says that they, they desired them to depart. That means that they asked them, practically begging them, if they would just leave Philippi and don't say anything. See, they understand that Paul and Silas, they have an open and shut case right here. If Paul and Silas want to press charges right here, they can take this before the highest authorities in Rome. And when this comes in with witnesses and all that happened, the highest authorities in Rome are going to look at these magistrates and say, you did what? And those guys are probably dead on the spot because of what they've done. And, and these magistrates, that they understand that. So they're begging Paul and Silas, hey, can't, can't you guys just leave Philippi? But, I, I mean, can't, can't, can't you just, just kind of like just forget it all? I mean, can't you guys just, it, isn't it amazing how God can change our situation if we'll just trust him through the part of it that doesn't make sense? Did, 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 did you hear me? Isn't it amazing how God can change our situation if we'll just trust him through the part of the situation that don't make sense? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Got some stuff in your life that don't make sense. Been through some things that just don't make sense. Here's the deal. We've been through things that didn't make sense. But we can look back and see how God made some sense out of something. How God made a way out of nowhere and he took something that seemed so bad and it was there. But, but you see how God did something with it. Something we would have never thought of, never dreamed of, never could have seen how anything good could have come out of it. Situations are the same today. Probably most of us in there has got something still going on today. Something going on. But just don't forget what God has done and what, he, what he's done here. God can make a way out of no way. And the part of it that don't make sense to us is just part that God's working out something that eventually will be for our good. But you can rest assured it will be for his glory. So these men, they know that Paul's got them right where he wants them. They, they know that, that Paul has them between a rock and a hard place right here. Paul can do whatever he wants. Now, here's, here's the deal. It does not tell us why did Paul let them off the hook. Why did Paul not prosecute them? Why did Paul not have them beaten? I mean, you had me beat for no reason, and I got a chance to get your backside tore up? Mm, I'll just go ahead and tell you. I'm like Pastor Freeman. I'm not fully sanctified. You got a whooping coming. 
I, I, I want to get my revenge. But that's the whole thing. God says that vengeance is not ours. And so that's what I'm kind of wondering about the Apostle Paul right here. He knows he's got this man on the hook. He knows exactly where he has them. But what he wants them to see is Christ. What he wants to see them is the mercy of a merciful God. What he wants them to see is the grace of a graceful God. And for every one of us, the Bible tells us that to whom much is, to much is given, then much is what? Required. We have been given an abundance of mercy. The best one of us in here, whoever you are, God bless you. The one with the least sin on your tab that's been saved the longest and done the least things against God doesn't change the fact that you have an abundance of mercy. And if you're like me, you got it by the truckloads. And, and we've got grace that has been, been bestowed upon us. So I don't know. I'm just wondering if maybe the Apostle Paul, he knows where he's got them. And he knows that he can have them beaten. But he knows if he takes them before the, the Roman authorities, they may even get killed. They're going to die and go to hell. But what Paul realizes here is, and I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just thinking, I'm not saying this is true because it doesn't tell me, but we do, we do see Paul representing Christ in a way that I wished I could. And, and because of that, I'm just thinking that he realizes what an opportunity. What an opportunity to let these men see. Remember, we already talked about, that's why the jailer was saved. He heard the words of the Apostle Paul. He heard the words of Silas. He heard all the things that were said. It meant nothing to him. But when they rejoiced at midnight, when they sang and praised in prison, and the chains fell off and they didn't flee, it's what they did that touched his heart. So it may be the same for these magistrates. They've heard what Paul said. They know what, what he's been preaching. But now to see, to see what he did. It says in verse number four, they went out of the prison. They entered into the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they comforted them and departed. Now, here's the difference. As a non-Roman citizen, they would have been thrown out of the city. They would have been drug out the edge and cast out and told not to come back. They would have been beaten as they were carried out and really just thrown out of town. So what we see here is that Paul and Silas, they agree to move on. They agree with these men, we're going to leave the city, we're going to go. But they go at their own pace. They go back to Lydia's house. They thank Lydia for all that she's done. They, they encourage her, strengthen her. Remember, Lydia's a new Christian. She's the first of the three that we met in this particular passage. The second was a demon-possessed girl. The third one here is this jailer. They go back and they, they tell Lydia their, their thank yous and, and their goodbyes. And it says that they, they take time to tell all the brethren bye. It says that, that they, they encourage the, the Christians. They probably told them about the jailer. I'm sure they told about, because, you know, Lydia and all those the household, they don't know about the earthquake. They don't know about the chains falling off. They don't know about the jailer being saved. They don't know about him washing their backs. They don't know about his family being baptized. They've not been back to tell that. So, so I'm sure they told them all about what great things God had done there and how God had saved the jailer in his house and said, make sure you get in touch with those guys. Make sure you get them involved in the church. Stay in touch and, and all of you grow together. But then it says that they, they comforted him. That, that to me, that, that tells them that they prayed with them. They prayed with them, and they prayed for them before they went out. And then Paul and Silas leave, but, but Timothy and Luke stay behind. They, they, they stay here in, in the church here at Philippi. Now, when Paul writes back to the church at Philippi, he says in chapter 4 and verse number 3, he says, I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, 
Help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with my other fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Now, most scholars agree that, that Paul is talking about Luke right here in that statement because the word true means sincere, and the word yoke fellow means colleague. So he is referring to my sincere colleague. So, so most scholars agree that in that part of the letter when he writes back to the Philippian church that he's writing back and, and he's talking about Luke. And then we get to chapter 17 and, and again we see something for the first time. You know these last several weeks has been sent a lot of things for the first time really all the way back to chapter 13. For the first time we saw him go out on the first missionary journey. We saw the first ever missionaries. The first um, missionary journey out. The first uh, evangelistic crusade, if you will. And then in chapter 14, we saw how they established for the first time, they went from city to city, establishing churches in every city. Before, you mainly had churches at Jerusalem. You had a few people that had some gatherings at their houses. But then we got to chapter 15. Remember, that's when we saw the false teachers come in for the first time. And they came in and said that circumcision was necessary for salvation. And then they had to go back and meet with Peter and James at the church at Jerusalem. And, and we learned that, that it's nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. Nothing else is necessary. And then chapter 16, when we were here in chapter 16, remember for the first time on this second missionary journey, we saw the Holy Spirit tell him, don't preach. Don't, don't go into that wicked city. I, I know they need preaching, but don't go there now. Don't, don't stop and talk to these people because the Holy Spirit had a mission, and that was to get them to Europe. And, and we saw that, that, the reason, that the reason was that the Holy Spirit had a plan, and we looked at that in our own lives. A lot of times, God has a plan. And, and if God's telling us to do something, do it. If God's telling us not to do something, then don't do it. I'm sure it made perfect sense to them to preach the gospel to the lost in those cities. But the Holy Spirit forbade them. The book says they were forbade to do that. Why are you forbade to preach the gospel? God will get around to that later. We'll come back to every one of those cities that they were forbade to preach in and see that every one of them later had a church established there. But for now, God's getting them to Europe so that he might send the gospel all around the world. Now... Chapter 17, for the first time, what we'll begin to see is a different way of preaching. We, we begin to see letters. We, we begin to see letters back to the church. The Apostle Paul, instead of making trips to the cities, while he's in cities ministering, he begins to send letters out to other churches at, at other cities. Now, they already have the Gospel of Matthew. It's already been written. But, but shortly after leaving Thessalonica, we'll see here in chapter 17, but shortly after leaving Thessalonica, he begins this whole new method of communications. Now, the reason for doing a Bible study, obviously, is to want to learn about the Word of God, to, to learn what's there, to learn more about it. But it does no good to learn about it if we don't apply it to our own lives. Every time we look, every time we study, every time we see it's how does this apply to me? How does it apply to my life today? How, how, does, how should it affect the, the way I live? That's my prayer every Wednesday night when we come in here. Lord, help each one of us pick something up out of here. Something that applies to me. Something that will help me. Something that will help me walk closer with God. Live more like Christ. Something that I can take from what they did right or wrong that I can take it and use it to, to make me a better Christian. 
So, so that's the whole purpose in, in trying to break it down and, and study the, the Word of God. So, you know, one of the things that, that we talked about Sunday, we, we looked at the church on Sunday, and we were talking about politics and this podium, and, and this is not the place for politics. Remember I said that, that Jesus said, Render therefore unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God. Jesus never tried to change human government. The Apostle Paul right here, he never tries to change human government. You notice right here, he was in a position at Philippi to try to do some things about it. To maybe go before some Roman authorities and try to make some changes. But, but Paul doesn't work to create social changes. He never uses his Roman citizenship as an opportunity to try and change government. He is an extremely intelligent man. He is highly educated, but he never tries to change government. Here's what Paul did. Paul preached the gospel of Jesus Christ so that he might change the souls of men. But if we could preach the gospel of Christ enough and change enough souls of men, then we change society. If we reach enough souls around us, if enough lost people become Christians, then society itself begins to change. And if society itself begins to change, then we'll stop being like the sign I saw that had the two farmers leaning on the fence and said, the biggest difference I see between humans and animals is that the animals will never choose the dumbest among them to lead them. If, if we had enough people saved, then, then we'd then we do a better job at the voting polls. We'd start voting Christians in. And like I said Sunday, it is very important that we have Christians in political offices. It is very important. Listen, I believe with all my heart that people are called into the politics. Just like preachers are called, Sunday school teachers are called, evangelists are called. I truly believe that some people are called into that. And we desperately need for those people to rise up now. In this country, we need for Christians to be in some political offices making, making godly choices for this country. And we need to support the ones that are standing on the Word of God. I don't care what the label or the tag says. We need to support the ones that are standing on the authority of the Word of God. Well, that's all free. They don't have nothing to do with it tonight. That was supposed to be from Sunday. Chapter 17, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scripture. So we see that Paul is able here to go back to his original strategy. Remember on the first missionary journey, every town that he went to had a synagogue. He went to the synagogues first so he could get some people that were like-minded, some people that at least were searching for God. And, and he would go in there and he'd preach for a while and then, you know, he always would get an invite because he is the Apostle Paul. He is from Rome and uh, I mean, he is from Jerusalem, comes from the church. He'd always get an invite to speak, and then eventually they'd get tired of hearing him. But, but what we're able to see here is that he goes back. Remember, he hadn't been able to do it in the last couple of cities because they didn't have a synagogue. So here he's kind of back, and it says that Paul reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. Now, here's what that means. It means that Paul expounded on what we call the Old Testament. Paul took what they called the law and the prophets. They had the law, the law of Moses, and they had the prophets. They had all of it. And what, he, what Paul did was he took the law and the prophet and he expounded on them. And, and see, that's one of the things I love about reading Matthew. If you've read Matthew the last three days, 
hang on. You get to do the Sermon on the Mount in, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 to finish out the week. What a great way to finish the week, Sermon on the Mount. But what you've got to see when you look at the lineage of Christ, and, and I know I explained a little bit about the, the three fourteens on Sunday, but you know when you read Matthew, what you consistently see there as he talks about Christ is you see things like, as it is written. Or, or you see things like, according to the prophets. See, that stuff's important because Matthew's not just telling us about Jesus. He's telling us about Jesus perfectly fulfilling what God said was going to happen before we ever got here. See, it's important that you have the prophecy. It proves that before the foundations of the world, it was all set there, that nothing is a mistake. Nothing is an uh-oh moment. Everything. That's why I love that, that Matthew always talks about according to the prophets, according to the way things were written. Thou Bethlehem, Ephratah, least among the, though thou be least among the thousands, but yet Jesus came in Bethlehem. To take those things and to point them out emphasizes, it solidifies who Christ is. And that's what Paul does here in this city. He is expounding on the prophets. He's taking the law and the prophets, and he's saying, this is what the law said, and this is who it is. This, this, is, this is the man. This is Jesus Christ. He is the fulfillment of prophecy, so there's no excuse to miss who he is. The, the, the God told us who he was going to be, how he was going to come, where he would be born. The Bible tells us all these things, and, and this is Christ. There's absolutely no excuse to miss him. So, so Paul is expounding on the scriptures. It says that many believed, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. Some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas and of the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. That means there's a bunch of them. And chief women would be important women. That's kind of like the Lydia's uh, of, of, um, that, that, that we met back at, at Philippi. This is some important people. This is some, some bigger than a town. And it says that, that a lot of them are, are saved. One of the things that we do see a little bit different if you look, and it's easy to miss words when you read stuff. It's easy to miss things, but sometimes things just jump out at you. Every time when we saw Paul on the first missionary journey going to synagogue, they offer him an opportunity to preach, right? And he starts preaching the gospel, and many people would begin to believe. And as he preached, the, the devout, the many of the Jews, the legalistic Jews, the Jewish leaders, the, the priests of the synagogue, they'd begin to get their feathers ruffled. Then they'd come up against Paul, and it'd turn into an argument, and they'd get thrown out, right? Well, one of the things I see different here, it, it says that they were there for three Sabbaths. So this isn't an immediate rejection. This means they got to come back. Three, three different times over the three weeks, they get to come back and preach the gospel. But verse number five says, but the Jews which believed not moved with envy. That means jealousy. They, they took, them, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the bachelor's sort, gathered a company and set all the city in an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. Now, a lot of things actually said, Right there in that verse, the one that said it says that jealousy is their reason. They're, they're moved with envy. But, but apparently they couldn't get the Jews riled up enough. Apparently they couldn't get the Jews in there. These Jews have done heard enough about the gospel. They're either believing or they're at least kind of hanging on, but they, they won't riot. Well, what we see is they basically did the same thing that Caiaphas did. Remember what Caiaphas did? He said, I need witnesses. Go out and find me some witnesses against this man. Pay people to lie. It doesn't matter. 
Pay, pay people for talk, false testimonies, but go out and get some false witnesses and, and bring, them, bring them in here. Here it says that the Jewish leaders went to certain lewd fellows. Now, anybody know? I know we don't know any of them, and there's certainly none of them attend church here, and they don't live around us, and they're not in our families. We, we don't know anybody like this. But we've heard of people or known of people that trouble just seems to be their high calling in life. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It just seems like they love to keep the pot stirred. They ain't happy if they ain't got something going on. I mean, they are Facebook heroes, man. Anything to get some garbage out, get some junk. You, you, you can't ever have a decent conversation with them about something good because everything's negative. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I got to be careful because people starting to come to mind. I'm fixing to lose my whole touch where I ain't going to be able to preach. The Jewish leaders always do it the same way. They always go to the world to do their dirty work. They, 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 they want to claim to be holier than thou. They want to claim to, to be the high priest and all this. But yet they always use other people to come in and do their dirty work. This word certain right here is an indefinite pronoun. It describes a particular type of person. The word lewd, it says it describes people who are mischief. It describes people who are always looking to make trouble. It describes, I like this one. It says it describes people who are morally diseased. I've got a new one now. <laughs> I think I know some people that have that. I don't know what the medicine is, but I think I know some folks that are morally diseased. People who are bad. People who are evil. And then it even uses the word devil to describe using this word. So the Jewish leaders... They go out and find themselves some evil people to do their dirty work. They get a mob started. They, they stir up a riot. They get a, the whole city. It says they have them in an uproar. And they go to Jason's house to arrest these men. The problem is when they get there, they're not there. Paul and Silas, the, the scholars say that that's where they were staying. I'm not, I, I assume that's correct. But I don't know why else they would have went to Jason's house to get them. But, but it says that they went there to get them and they're not there. So, so they bring out... Jason, oh, we got plenty of time. I, I, I want you to do something. I want you to do something for me right here. If you got your Bibles with you, if you got your phone, however you make notes, I, I promise you, you you're going to want this at some point in time. If you got a place in, in your front or your back or a little place where, where you put notes, I, I want you may, maybe to turn to Acts chapter 17 right here in verse number 6 and, and put your note there, wherever you got it. But, but here, here's, here's something I want you to make note of. Verse number 6 contains one of the greatest compliments that a Christian will ever get. It is my prayer that, that Faith Baptist Church could be accused of verse number 6. It is my prayer that, that myself and all of us and everybody in this church could be accused, sincerely accused, not falsely accused, that we could be sincerely accused of verse number 6. Because it says that when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city crying. And here it is. Here's the part that, that I want you to make note of. These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. What a tribute to any Christian. 
What a tribute that would be for any church to be said. They have turned our town upside down with the preaching of Jesus Christ. They have turned our town upside down with the ministry of the gospel of this book. What a testimony of the life of Paul and Silas and what a testimony of the power of the word of God. Because you and I can go out there and talk till we're blue in the face and we can't turn a leaf upside down. But by the anointing of the Holy Spirit and the power and the authority of the Word of God, if we go out commissioned as we are as Christians to, to spread the gospel, then we truly can turn this town upside down. We can change our hometown for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everywhere Paul went, souls were saved. Everywhere Paul went, lives were changed. You know why? Because the apostle Paul drew a line in the sand. Jesus Christ is the way. There is no other. Heaven or hell, make your choice. Here's the line. Clear cut, plain and simple. Choose ye this day whom you will serve. I know we're Joshua 24, 15, but it doesn't change the fact. Choose you right now. Jesus Christ or the devil, who are you going to serve? Jesus, a place prepared for you, or, or the devil offers you hell. That's the best thing he's got that he can offer you. But Paul drew lines in the sand. He, he didn't just sneak into town, do a couple of little nights and call it a revival, pick up a love offering, and head out of town. When the apostle Paul went in, he established churches. He went in and he stirred up the ones that didn't believe. He stirred up the ones that were against it. But when Paul got thrown out of town, everybody there knew he'd been in town. When Paul got thrown out of town, everybody had heard the gospel, regardless of where they landed, saved or unsaved. When Paul left town, everybody had at least had an opportunity to hear the gospel in its purest form. It says that they went to the house of Jason going to arrest Paul and Silas, but not there. So Jason is arrested. He is, he is guilty by association. Paul and Silas are staying in his house. So he, honestly, he is arrested, guilt by association. Can I tell you, that's some pretty good friends to have. That, that's some pretty good people to keep company with. If you're going to be guilty by association with somebody, Paul and Silas is the kind of people you want to hang around. Be found guilty of, of being Christ-like because you hang around Christ-like people. Be found guilty of, of, of living a Christian life and trying to be like Christ because you're hanging around people who are guilty of trying to live Christ-like and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. It matters who we run with. It matters who you hang around. It, it matters, y'all, I always heard, if you run with a dog, he's going to get pleased. That's just reality. If you run with a bad crowd, bad things happen, you're going down guilt by association. So what we see here is guilt by, by association. It says that, Jason hath received, and all these contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there, this is what they're guilty of. You ready? This is the charge. This is what they're charging of. The, 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 the decree of Caesar saying that there is another king, one Jesus. Well, hallelujah. Because there is. There is one Jesus. There is one greater than Caesar. Jesus, when he talked about one greater is here, he's greater than, than everything. What they did was they preached Jesus Christ. When they had troubled the people and the rulers of the city, they had heard these things. When they'd taken security of Jason and of the other, they let them go. They preached that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the scriptures. They preached that Jesus Christ 
has come. They preach that Christ is salvation. He is the only means of salvation and that he is the resurrection and that he will come back and get his people. That's what they're preaching. Now, here's what we can know what Paul preached in Thessalonica. It doesn't tell us here, but I said not long after leaving, he writes his letters back to the church at Thessalonica. In the first letter, he dealt with the coming of Christ and how it will affect the church. In his second letter, he deals with the coming of Christ and how it will affect the world. So he's writing back. He is reinforming. He is encouraging the things that, that he's already taught them. Now, we, we've looked at a lot of situations in the last few weeks, especially in the life of the Apostle Paul, how things just happen. And, and we've asked the question several times and several things. Why would God have allowed that to happen? And, and every time that we look at why would God have allowed that to happen, what we see a little bit later in the study is that God had a greater plan. My ways are not your ways. My ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. God said, my, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And, and every time we see something, it's like, why? Why would God allow one of his servants to have to go through that? We always see that there's a plan. Now, had Paul not had to leave Thessalonica, had he not got pushed out of this town, then, then we don't have First and Second Thessalonians. We don't have the teachings about the coming of Christ and, and how it affects the church or the second letter and how it affects the world. Matter of fact, we don't have at least 13 books of the New Testament. We don't have from Romans to Philemon, take it out, get rid of it. You don't have any of the teachings to the church. You don't have any of the letters to the church. If he doesn't get pushed out and start teaching this way, then we don't have any of that. Now, some, some scholars say that they believe the letters to, to Thessalonica were the first letters he wrote. Others say they believe the letter to Galatia was the first one, and this was the second and third letters written. I don't know. My study Bible here says that, that this one, uh, the letter to, to Thessalonica, was written in 50 A.D., but then when you look at Galatia, it says it could have been written anywhere from 49 to 52. So we really don't know exactly, maybe, and, and I know you can kind of narrow it down, and you can come up with your own opinions, but to be honest, what, what matters is that Paul wrote these letters. The Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that when he's going on this missionary journey said, nope, don't preach there, just keep going. Nope, don't preach there, just keep going. I forbade you to preach there, just keep going. And he lands him in Europe. That same Holy Spirit has now said, I need you to sit down. Don't try to go back to the Thessalonica. Don't try to go back and take on the Jews. Sit down and write a letter. Sit down and write a letter that will teach them. Sit down and write a letter that will encourage them. Sit down and write a letter that will help them. Sit down and write a letter that will give them hope. The Holy Spirit says, I'll instruct you. You just take the pen and the paper. You just write what I say. And the Word of God was written as the Holy Spirit of God breathed on men. And they wrote the Word of God. So here's the truth. Had, had this not happened, then they did not get the letters. But here's reality. Had Paul gone back to every one of those cities, he could have probably reached hundreds, maybe thousands, probably thousands because of his power and influence. He could have gone city to city, church to church, and probably reached thousands. But because the Holy Spirit says, uh-uh, sit down right here and write a letter. The Holy Spirit recorded the letters, and he's used the Apostle Paul to reach millions and millions for over 2,000 years, millions, so that we take this book out and we preach it every week, day in, day out, 
week in, week out. See, the Holy Spirit had a different plan. Did it make sense that Paul would get run out of towns? No. Does it make sense that Paul gets thrown out of synagogues? No. Does it make sense that Paul can't go back into places and preach the gospel? No. Does it make sense when you realize that because of that, the Holy Spirit wrote the Word of God, and we now hold it today? Now, all of a sudden, it makes a whole lot of sense, doesn't it? The same thing is true in my life. The same thing is true in your life. Things don't have to always make sense. As long as you know you're serving God, as long as you know you're doing best to fulfill the will of God, as long as you know you're reading this book, you're praying daily, you're doing the best thing you can to fulfill the will of God in your life, you're trying to live, and it does not make sense why things are going wrong. And you begin to ask God, why? What am I doing wrong? Just show me what I'm doing wrong. I've been there. Show me what I'm doing wrong. Let me put it under the blood and let's get out of this because I can't take this anymore. But God was doing something. Had I missed that, I don't get, this, I don't get the greatest honor on earth. And that's to stand here tonight and teach this. I, the, the greatest thing ever happened in my life is that God let me be a pastor. Not just any church, but Faith Baptist Church. To, to this church. But... But there was a time, anybody know what I'm talking about? There was a time stuff going on. My life wasn't making no sense. Why am I miserable making more money than I've ever made? Why do I hate the job that I've loved doing my whole life and it's the only thing I've ever really been pretty good at? Stuff didn't make sense. That is our life. Everything doesn't have to make sense. But if you're serving God, just hold on. He's doing something. He's doing something. And, and, when it's, and, and you know, a lot of times, it don't just all of a sudden like boom make sense. Sometimes it's two or three or five or ten years later before you really realize what God did. And you look back and you go, man, I, I missed that altogether. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever prayed for something? You prayed for something? You prayed for something? And finally you just stop praying for it. And then one time, all of a sudden about four years later, you realize, wait a minute. I remember when I used to pray for that. And it just went away. And God did it so subtly that, that we didn't even realize it. That's because God's always there. He's always got a plan. He's always working. And one of the things that we can see in everything about the Apostle Paul is it doesn't have to make sense right now. If you're doing the best you can to serve God and you wind up bleeding with chains on you and you're chained to a wall and you got stripes on your back, could God have stopped it? You better know it. So if God allowed it, God's got something in store. So what do we have to do? Well, I don't know. I can't tell you. I'm going to sit and be singing at midnight in, in the prison cells. Y'all with me? Glory and tribulation, I ain't there. But I hope someday to get there. Well, I better be careful saying that. You got to earn that spot, don't you? Well, I'm out of time. I'm not out of scripture. I'm not out of verses. And I'm not out of, I'm nowhere near out of notes. But I am out of time. So Lord willing, we'll, we'll just pick up right here next week god thank you so much thank you for this book thank you for this letter god thank you for a man like apostle paul that was willing to suffer for your glory for a man that was willing to accept beatings and and, and then turn around and show grace and mercy to the people that beat him god thank you for for a man that was willing to be sensitive to your holy spirit and just sit down and write letters back to churches when i know it was his heart's desire to see these people god i know he probably wanted to go back and visit with all of them but you gave him instructions, but had you not given him instructions, had you not written them, we don't have this precious book. God, thank you for looking way into the future, all the way back then, the Apostle Paul. So I got some folks coming along 2022 over in LaGrange at Faith. They're going to need some help. 
They're going to need some confidence. They're going to need some assurance, God, and that you looked way into the portals of time, and, and you made a way for us, God. You made a way for our salvation, and you made a way that we could learn more about you, God. Thank you so much. Thank you that you're even mindful of us, God. Creation is more than we can imagine, but yet you sit and you're mindful of us. It makes no sense. Thank you for being such a great Father, such an awesome God. We love you, Father. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.